This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas State Technical College has Texas covered. With 10 campuses across the state, students can learn the skills necessary to start a great new career. Learn more at tstc.edu. And Texas 2036, building long-term data-driven strategies to secure Texas's prosperity through our bicentennial and beyond. Find out more at texas2036.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for January 13th, 2023. It's the first week of the session, and this week I'm joined by uh, two of our political reporters who have been covering the action so far, uh, James Berrigan. Hey, James. Hey there. And Patrick Spitak. Hey, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So the lawmakers have already gone home for the long weekend as we record this on Friday, but it was a pretty eventful week, if not altogether all that surprising. The uh, Texas House re-elected Speaker Dade Phelan attempts by some of the chamber's most conservative members to ban Democrats from chairing House committees failed. Uh, lawmakers learned that the projected budget surplus heading into the session is even larger than they projected, even though it had already been kind of projected to be a record amount. And senators drew lots to find out whether they had two or four year terms, a, a little quirk of the Texas redistricting process. Um, next week, we're expecting more action. Um, you know, uh, uh, inaugurations for Governor Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick, uh, the filing of the state budget bills at some point, um, and maybe, you know, as soon as today, committee assignments for the, the Senate. Um, but I want to first start with the action in the House. Patrick, you were there for the fight over the rules in which the issue of committee chairs was one of the key kind of topics. Can you tell us a little bit about what that fight was about and what happened on the floor? Absolutely. So this push to ban Democratic committee chairs um, has been building for uh, several months, if not over a year now. You've had a, a small but vocal minority in the, uh, among House Republicans who've been pushing to end this, which is kind of a longtime tradition in the House. Um, the current Republican Speaker, Dave Phelan, has uh, defended the practice and you know said it's it's a it's a tradition, but it's a, a worthwhile tradition. It, it breeds bipartisanship and, and collaboration, cooperation, and it sets uh, the legislature apart from uh, the dysfunction that we see in Washington D.C., where major the majority party um, does chair uh, all the committees. And so that was the the background heading into um, the fight over the rules this week. Um, and what we saw uh, was that. House leadership was basically able to prevent this um, from even coming to a vote on the floor. Uh, and they did that by passing a piece of legislation earlier in the day, what's known as a housekeeping resolution, and including a new provision in there that basically codified a state constitution ban on using House resources for political purposes. And then a couple hours later, when they got to the rules, leadership was able to point to that new provision in the housekeeping resolution uh, to successfully uh, knock down proposed amendments restricting Democratic committee chairs. And so this, you know, was a pretty big win for leadership in that they prevented this um, push from even making it to a floor vote during the rules fight. Uh, now, the, the folks who want to ban Democratic committee chairs 
you know, they were always very unlikely to get their way. You know, they have to to amend the rules um, to make this happen. They have to get a majority vote in the chamber. Um, their numbers have not grown that much, uh, you know, since the last time this was tried. Um, but it was always a question of, you know, how many more members could they get to vote for something like this, um, especially after the, the recent the latest House primaries, you had some some freshman Republicans coming in who in their campaigns had pledged to support this effort, had pledged in their primaries to vote to ban Democratic committee chairs. And so, you know, it was a big win for leadership in that they prevented this from even getting to a floor vote um, and, and creating a, a potentially tough vote for some Republicans. So, yeah, and it was kind of our first uh, 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 parliamentary procedure um, to to kill kind of an un, unpopular or unfavored by leadership uh, measure. James, what is the impact of Democrats being able to uh, chair committees? I mean, how does how does this matter for kind of what will happen over the next you know few months? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, partly Phelan's point that there is no real impact to like the conservative priorities, because for the most part, they've passed all the conservative priorities that the grassroots folks who are the main people pushing for the banning of Democrat chairs want them to pass. Um, the immediate impact for the legislators is that it makes some people feel a little bit more important, perhaps more important than they actually are, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but it makes them feel good. They get to go back to their constituents and say, I'm chair of so-and-so committee, even if it's the um, trash cans and bins committee, but like it makes you sound important, right? Um, and so it keeps people happy. It keeps things rainbows and sunshine for now, unless you're one of the very few people who voted um, uh, against um, against the this moving. Um, but that's what it is. You know, the 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 speaker wants to keep the House, um, both Democrats and Republicans happy for now so that he can move forward with his agenda and with the House's agenda. Yeah, I, well, let me push back a little bit on that. I mean, because one of the um, one of you know, one one of the truths of the legislature is that bills rarely get voted down. They usually die some other kind of death, whether it's failing to get out of committee or failing to get onto the House calendar before an important deadline and something like that. I mean, and, you know, there have been Democrats who have chaired, you know, committees that can 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 cause bills to to fail. I mean, the most important one that I think about here is um is Harold Dutton, a Democrat from Houston, chairing the House Education Committee. And of course, one of the big pushes we're seeing from conservatives this session is for school choice. And I guess maybe you could say, and maybe you will say to me that um, that bill stood very little chance of passing the, um, uh, uh, the House anyways, based on what we've seen from past votes. But, you know, if he remains the chair of that committee, Dutton, and he has already kind of spoken out you know, suggested he didn't think that there was, uh, he didn't support that kind of a bill that allows, you know, someone to kind of keep that from reaching the floor and having a lot of kind of Republicans in the House having to take a vote that maybe they don't want to then hear about in the next Republican primary. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. Um, and, and this is where we get into like the smoke and mirrors, knife and dagger kind of situation here. Uh, or cloak and dagger situation here, where um sure things like um 
school vouchers or things like um, the other one that comes to mind is the constitutional carry bill that got killed by a, a Democrat in 2019, a Democrat chair. Um, but the thing is that, you know, behind the scenes, these are also things that perhaps leadership does not want to pass. Right. Yeah. And so it becomes very easy for them to give a chairmanship to a Democrat who they know will vote against these or not let these things pass through. Um, and then they can pin it on the Democrats um, and say, well, it's the Democratic chair who held it up. It's not my fault. I would have I would have supported it, you know. Um, but that gets into like the sort of smoke and mirrors of the legislature. But to your point, I mean, that is exactly what these conservative grassroots activists are saying. Like, if you really were one of us, you would just put Republicans in charge because then there would be no way for Democrats to impede on our agenda. And I also add too, as far as the smoke and mirrors, I mean, we've seen how, you know, if, if a house speaker or, you know, leadership house leadership wants something to get to the floor so they can pass it. Um, we've seen before how they can uh, reroute it through different committees, how, you know, they can pull out all the stops to make sure it actually does get to the floor for passage. I mean, we saw this, we, I mean, we saw this under feeling during the special sessions in 2021 when he created a select committee, uh, you know, chaired by one of his Republican allies to kind of reroute some of the more controversial legislation that Abbott had put on the agenda and go around some of the traditional uh, standing committees in the House. And so, you know, it all, it, I, I know that we sometimes, you know, think the House is different than the Senate in terms of their deference uh, to the rules. Um, and, and they are in some ways, but it's also the case that, you know, if the House Speaker wants a bill to, to get to the floor and pass, um, there are ways to do it that can circumvent uh, the at least traditional committee route. Yeah, to put a finer point on that, Patrick, you know, we're talking about Harold Dutton and him like holding up vouchers and stuff. But I think what you're referring to is also like it was the trans student athlete bills that right. I think Dutton also wanted to kill. Um, and then they were just like, fine, we'll just take it to J.M. Lozano's new special committee and we'll get it through. I think it was J.M. Lozano and they created that. Yeah, I forgot who it was. I think it, it was called like the Select Committee on Constitutional Remedies or something like that. And <laughs> right, like, right. like very, you know, broad, vague charge. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just goes to show if leadership wants to get something done. They, they can find a way regardless of who the current committee uh, standing committee chairs are. To Phelan's point about like, we're going to get things done if we want it. If we want it done, we'll get it done. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, I mean, one thing that Phelan said during this is that we want, um, uh, you know, we don't want Austin, we don't want the Capitol to look like DC. And, and that kind of contrast between the kind of complete mess that's going on, or that went on, you know, with the election of the US House Speaker, compared to a relatively smooth, uh, election for uh, Dave Phelan this time. I mean, you know, only a very small handful of members uh, spoke out uh, or voted against him or voted for Tony Tinderholt, who was the kind of hard right challenger to Phelan there. Uh, Patrick, what did you see from the the speaker vote that, that caught your attention, if anything? It was not that surprising to me at all. Um, you know, I think only three members, including Tinderholt, the challenger himself, uh, you know, voted uh, against <laughs> Phelan for speaker. Um, in the lead up to this speaker election, there were just no signs that it was going to be competitive, that there was any kind of significant bleeding of support from feeling. I think that, um, you know, among the, you know, the conservative wing of the Republican Party in the House, um, they've just concluded that this is just not a, you know, this is not a fight worth having. 
um, you know, that voting against the speaker immediately becoming, um, you know, uh, an outcast within the body um, that, you know, this is just not the, the, the stand to make. Uh, and so I was not surprised that uh, Tinderholt could only muster two other votes in support of his challenge or uh, his challenge to the speakership. All right, well, let's pause for a second and hear from our sponsors. The Texas Bankers Association is the state's voice and advocate for the banking industry and more than 200,000 bankers throughout Texas. Learn more at texasbankers.com. And Lone Star College Online delivers education your way with fully online degrees and individual classes to help you achieve your goal. Learn more at lonestar.edu. All right, so Patrick... You then had an interview or participated in an interview with Phelan after this, I mean, um, after this vote, uh, where he kind of laid out some of his views on uh, the upcoming session and everything like that. What, where is his head right now? What was your takeaway from what he had to say to, to reporters now that he's kind of been reelected to the gavel? Yeah, it was about a 20 minute uh, briefing with uh, a dozen or so reporters uh, near his office in the, or at his office uh, in the Capitol. And honestly, he, he covered a lot of things that we already know about how he's thinking about this session. Uh, he talked about how he really wants to revive the Chapter 313 corporate tax break program. He thinks that the legislature was short sighted in letting that expire last year. Uh, he talked about how, um, you know, he doesn't believe there are votes for a bill to raise the age uh, to buy uh, an assault, uh, AR style assault weapon. Um, we've heard that from him before. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I guess got some headlines out of it uh, is that he uh, expressed openness to casino gambling in Texas, which he did say in a, a smaller or a less noticed setting, I guess, in, in 2021, um, you know, of the big three, he's always been the the, the you know less of an obstacle to getting casinos done than uh, Abbott or Patrick, so that was not too surprising uh, to me. Uh, one of the questions I asked him is about you know what is his personal appetite this session for you know legislation uh, related to LGBTQ Texans. We've obviously seen these proposals to crack down on drag shows. We're going to see proposals and a big push to ban gender affirming care for transgender kids. Um, and he gave me a, a pretty vague answer on that, where he said that all those issues will be dealt with by this select committee he formed in 2021. It's called the, um, you know, Select Committee on Youth Health and Safety. Um, it was initially formed uh, to kind of look at some of the harmful impacts uh, on youth of the, the COVID pandemic. And then it was kind of repurposed after the Evaldi shooting to look at school safety. And so he seemed to signal that now that, you know, you know, a year later, this uh, select committee may also be looking into some of these more hot button social issues. Um, you know, he brought up the fact that he thinks that there are, um, you know, a very select few school districts in Texas that are getting in between uh, conversations between parents and children about sexuality that should remain at home in his view and not be part of the classroom. He said he has a first grader and he would be pretty um, upset if they came home talking about sexual topics. Um, so, you know, a little, don't want to read too much into that because he was a little reluctant to even talk about the, the more controversial proposals like banning gender affirming uh, care for trans kids. Um, but clearly he is in a headspace where Abbott is in a headspace too, and Patrick as well, where they're thinking about 
um, you know, trying to set some limits and restrictions uh, on what can be discussed in the classroom, at least at the elementary school level, as it relates to, you know, sexuality and, and, and gender. Um, and that and that mirrors the in some ways the push we saw in Florida, the successful push we saw in Florida, um, to, you know, to pass a ban on discussion of these topics at the elementary school level, um, which critics have called, you know, the don't say gay law. And that's something that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has said he wants to pass. So, you know, I don't want to read too much into Phelan's comments, but it seems like there is some common ground there. Well, it also seemed, you know, in that rules debate, one thing that we saw was some amendments by that most conservative faction, the kind of anti-Phelan, very small faction in the House, where, you know, we saw an amendment related to I, I saying that you you wouldn't, if it passed, you wouldn't be able to chair a committee unless you acknowledged that there were two genders, uh, male and female. I, I believe there was one related to drag shows as well. Those obviously didn't go anywhere and were kind of dismissed, but I think showed that there is a segment that really wants to bring this front and center and that we might be seeing this kind of coming up quite a bit in a lot of different ways. And, and you know, we'll see whether it has the potential to kind of, you know, be the the focus of the session, or even potentially derail a session like like it did with the bathroom bill in 2017. I guess maybe the key difference there is that we've got a very different speaker now, right? Um, Joe Strauss, um, who was uh, I would say considerably more moderate than than Dave Phelan is there. Yeah, I think to me the big question heading into the session is it's pretty clear leadership wants to take up these social issues as they occur inside the classroom space. You know, like I said, I mean, there's clearly some shared interest among Abbott, Patrick and Phelan for trying to crack down on kind of what can be taught at the elementary school level, at least. Um, I'm more curious to see if leadership is interested in taking up some of these more hot button issues, you know, out that, that, that have kind of manifest themselves outside the classroom. Like, as you pointed out, drag shows like this gender affirming care for transgender kids. We haven't heard as much from leadership um, about the, you know, legislation targeting LGBTQ Texans as it occurs, um, you know, outside the classroom. Feeling definitely in that conversation, tried to seem, seem to try to refocus my question on social issues inside the classroom, which I think is more politically safe territory these days um, for the speaker. What do you make of the kind of rabble rousing that occurred? So of course there was the the the, the Tinderhold group filing the amendments, uh, you know, having their kind of uh, doomed bid to unseat Phelan. Um, but you then also had uh, a, a good number of activists showing up in the chamber wearing the no democratic chairs. Um, and I think, you know, maybe most notably the, the, the kind of support of the Texas GOP chair, Matt Rinaldi of this, and possibly even floating the idea of censuring members who voted against, um, or, you know, uh, who, who voted for rules that would, uh, allow for democratic, uh, party chairs. I mean, is this how, how, Big of a concern of that how how much of a factor is that i mean we've, we've obviously seen over the last few years the the republican party you know as the specific actual state gop as the organization be kind of out there really pressuring uh state leaders in various ways uh both in legislative sessions and in between well i think it was a concern for Phelan's team to the extent that it could lead to a floor vote that could show that this movement is growing like I said, um, 
that, you know, this segment of the party certainly didn't have the votes to, you know, get a majority in the chamber and pass an amendment uh, banning Democratic committee chairs. Um, but the last time this came up for a vote in the rules debate in 2021, I think there were five votes for it. I think if it made it to a floor vote this time around, there would have been more than five votes for it. And so, you know, I think leadership was concerned about getting it to a floor vote that could show even the smallest momentum on this issue compared to the 2021 session. And so that's why they obviously found a way to, to prevent it from even getting to a floor vote. So I think that's where the concern may have been. I think also it's important to remember that like it's early on in the session, right? And so like everybody still wants to stay on the speaker's good side. Um, and I think you alluded to this, Patrick, like you, you don't want to make yourself a pariah um, or be on any kind of hit list early on. Um and so like they want to stay on the speaker's good side. They want to still be up for like good committees, good committee chairmanships. So maybe they don't want to create a scandal in the beginning. But that doesn't mean necessarily that that, you know, goodwill is going to continue several months into this thing. Right. And we saw that there was a significant amount of activists who came um, and and just like really cheered on Tinder Holt and, and Slayton. So there is. Uh, a public view of support there um however skewed that is inside the gallery because i think it is a, a a pretty vocal minority but there will be pressure you know and i mean to your original question uh, matthew i think it does show that like you know the call is coming from inside the house if the <laughs> gop chairman is calling out the house speaker and his leadership team for not doing what these loud uh, minority wants them to do um <clears throat> that's not necessarily what what you want um because the party is basically supposed to help you get elected and help you have a majority um and so if they're taking shots at you and you're you know high ranking lieutenants um it's not it, it, there is a potential where that's not going to work out well for you and i mean just ask joe strauss and see where his really most powerful lieutenants are right now. Um, and they're nowhere near really the uh, the uh, halls of power right now. So we also heard at the, the day before the session began, um, the update from Glenn Hager about uh, how much money the state will be able to spend in its biennial budget this session. The surplus has grown even more than from the last estimate up to a uh, historic $32.7 billion, the state will have a total of $188.2 billion available in general revenue funding for the upcoming budget. That's twenty a 26% increase from what they had during the last budget cycle. That increase is the biggest increase in history in the state. James, how does that change the dynamic of the legislative session heading into it? It makes it harder for like the top leaders to say no, because they don't have the ready excuse to say, well, we don't have enough money for that. <laughs> you know, if you want money for your pet project um, and you're coming out for like with your hand out, they can usually always say, you know, there's a limited amount of money in the budget. But this time it's like, well, there is a limited amount of money in the budget, but we got this $32 billion historic surplus. And so how can I get my share of it? Um, so there's going to be a lot of haggling. Obviously, the big three have already said sort of where they want that money used or what their priorities would be. Um, and so there will be a lot of haggling about um, how that money is used. I think overall, probably the big three will will get their way. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what pet projects um, get some money. Um, 
you know, the speaker has talked about infrastructure. Uh, the lieutenant governor has talked about infrastructure in some ways, talking about, you know, wanting to uh, create um, mental health hospitals in West Texas, where there's a dearth of them. Um, so that, that is infrastructure in a certain way. Um, so it just kind of changes it a little bit in that everybody is a lot more hopeful about wanting their pet projects funded, um, which only means that they will be all the more disappointed when they are not funded. <laughs> Indeed, we've already kind of started to see the hands out, you know, the the um, universities with a letter uh, that was, I believe, sent last month that we but that we reported on this week saying, you know, they could freeze tuition for two years in exchange for a series funding of a series of priorities that would end up costing around a billion dollars. Um, we're hearing from school districts that are saying um that you know they would like to see some changes in how uh, schools are formed. An, an article on that uh, today, also in the Tribune, you know that that would cost uh, several billion dollars as well. You mentioned infrastructure, and of course, property taxes being perhaps the biggest subject of conversation um, as as well. Greg Abbott uh, promising the the biggest tax cut in. Um, uh, in, in state history. So uh, a lot of kind of hands out looking for that money, you know, state employees asking for raises as well, things like that. Uh, you know, it's, we'll see how quickly $32 billion can shrink down to, to, to not being able to, to pay no for money, all the no problems. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we will see. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Thank you, James. And thank you, Patrick. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you to our sponsors, Texas State Technical College, Texas 2036, the Texas Bankers Association, and Lone Star College. We'll talk to you all next week. You